I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 26, Episode 15 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Joey. And I'm Clara. And, of course, we're still remote, and we will be for the foreseeable future, probably forever. All right. Um, if, if you'd like... Uh, first off, in this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Out of Print GM sends us some convention pregens and asks for some feedback. Uncommon Man sends us another GMing exercise, and Heavy Metal Jess writes in about storing digital content in a GM's lesson learned. I don't think that ends well. But first, if yeah, you'd like to email Digital content and lesson learned. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Um, oh, no, they are two separate ideas. Okay. I did the reading. Okay. Uh, email, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Uh, we have a forum, happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. We're on the social medias. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and MeWe and maybe four or five more <laughs> soon. Or maybe they're sock puppet accounts. Happy Jacks RPG, all one word, is the username for those things. And if you'd like to watch the show live, you can go to happyjacks.org slash live at 7.05 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time and see the show live. And you can see our faces. And that's it. Uh, who wants to read the first email? Or should I read that? Because I don't have to read emails. Because there's, there's four of us and only three emails. If someone else wants to read I just don't want to read the last one because it's really long. Yeah, sure, I'll read it. Give me a sec here. All right. Can I make Happy Jack sock puppets and do a sock puppet game? What do you mean? Oh, sock pu- like actually actual sock puppets? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You, you want to? You mean you want to have a game where we move the cameras where you only see the sock puppets and we have a game? Yeah, we just sit under the table. That's uncomfortable. Like Avenue Q. You don't have to. You yeah. Can, oh, that that that's, that would be uncomfortable. I think you could just arrange the cameras so you just see the sock puppets. And then we yeah, can just still sit on the table. I really don't want to follow this analogy because it's going to end. It's going to. It's not going to be good. Sock puppets. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, first con game out of print GM. You were thinking. I know what you were thinking of. You were yeah. thinking of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> that's. Thank you. That's the. That's the right analogy. Now, there's uh, a dude, way to give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. Uh, do, you, do you guys get the reference with socks? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've, Greetings. I've seen that. I'm moving on now. You guys can carry this on. <laughs> Go ahead. Greetings is, doing the ha- Greetings is doing the Happy Jacks crew. Out of print GM writing again with a convention report from Yorkshire in March of 2020. The weekend after I turned 50, Aircon was on again just before the lockdown. This year I did something I have never done before. I ran my first con game. Yay! Yay. Yay. I chose to run Black Knight. Night Black Night Agents. Black Agents, published by Pelegrin Press Ltd., a system that uses the gumshoe system. Mm-hmm. I ran a homebrew introductory game uh, that the the sheets for the characters are attached. Both sessions I ran were amazing. Four hours of just focusing on the game itself. The plot for the game involved a bunch of Russian mafia goons <clears throat> kidnapping people to uh, order for vampires to feed them, feed on them. With vampires using social media as a menu. My normal home group oftentimes breaks off to side chats with random stuff because 
that is the only time we see each other. So the con game is a real difference for me as uh, an RPG referee with 39 years of experience under my belt. Wow. That's how long have you been doing this, Stu? Uh, since 1978. Yeah, okay, you might beat him, but 40, just. 78. I'll have to count. Yeah, we'll do the math. 42 years. There you go. 42 years. I was told there would be no math. Okay, I'm looking to improve my con game, starting with uh, better write-ups of characters. I feel one of my weak points is uh, one of my weak points is making good female good female characters. Okay, so if you could give the characters a once-over and some constructive criticism, I would be appreciative. P.S. They seem obligatory, as you have a bit of time to fill. You should check out the uh, BBC comedy show, The League of Gentlemen. If you can get it in America, it's a dark and funny show. Well, keep on keeping on. Stay safe from Out of Print GM. Did anyone get a chance to look at the... I, I have I thoughts. I them over now. I, I, just, I will say, I, like... I peruse them, and I'm like, hmm. I have, I have thoughts, but go ahead. I have a blanket statement for the question of specifically writing female characters, and that is, um, like write a male character and then just change the gender. There's not a lot that makes women different from men when it comes to character unless you... I mean, okay. Gender is a construct, but uh, you you can always, uh, like, unless you really do want to focus on the dynamics that being a woman in society, like, puts pressure on us for, um, there's really no reason that the gender should have, uh, gender identity should have anything to do with the character you've written. So, uh, I mean, looking them over, they see the characters seem pretty fine. <laughs> like they they have a lot of points that you can latch onto and make a character choice from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that was going to be my main point too: is just write people and then let them let the players assign their own gender, and yeah. that's that's always a good way to have the connection to that character. Uh, looking over the character sheets, I love that you put in. Like their opinions of the other PCs. That's super fun. I love that, especially for a con game. It lets me latch onto that real quick and not have me do so much work. Um, one thing I would consider doing is they all seem pretty positive. I maybe have a positive and a negative for each person. That way they have something that they appreciate about them, but also that could cause a little interpersonal drama if you want to explore that, because I like interpersonal drama, but that's just me. I agree. Um, that when I looked at the character sheets, I thought, wow, you're doing a whole bunch of work that you could outsource to the players. That was the first thing I thought of. The, when I, the last, I'm going to say the last couple years at least, <clears throat> when I make characters, I don't give them genders. I don't give them names. Uh, I, if I give them backgrounds, it's usually very brief. It's one or two sentences. It's not much. And um, I really like what what some of the PBTA and other hippie games do as far as connections and backgrounds between characters do. And I, and I'd like, I I would generally prefer to do that at the table and have the players. First off, if you're making, if, if you're making characters that are gendered, you, you are, uh, constraining the players and assuming, you know, the preference for the sort of gender that, that different players want to play. And you can never know that. Um, you don't know, I mean, most con games, maybe you do it at that one, but at most con, con games, you don't know who signed up at all. 
So are you going to split it and say, okay, I'm going to make three male characters and three female characters or two male characters and two female characters and, and one and a couple non-binary or you don't know what, what, and you don't know what the players are going to want to play. Are they going to want to play the same gender or a different gender? So instead of assigning that stuff, let the players assign all of that stuff. And I used to try to pick characters. I've been, I've been making non-gendered characters for, for con games for quite a while now. And I used to use um, sort of non-gender specific names for them. And then I realized there aren't that many. And I started realizing all my characters are using like the same 12 names. So... Well, not Abigail. That's <laughs> Jamie and Terry. And right, exactly. And Sam, CD and Sam. But, but I think for for me, it, it has been my experience that if you sit down with basically a shell of a character, you're going to have all the, the the stats or skills or whatever, all the mechanical fiddly stuff you need to have. But the more stuff the players make at the table, it has been my experience that the players tend to have an easier time of sort of fitting into their character it gives them ownership yeah and also it 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 allows them to to play what they're what they want to play i mean they might not be able to pick oh i want to play a thief when there's no thief left i have to play a play this but they can but as far as personality and all of that stuff you can they can do all that stuff themselves plus as far as the background and stuff goes i used to do that i used to do what he's doing where it's like list like there's on one piece of paper list the other player characters and what and what the what that character thinks about each of them and rather than doing that i would say just to have like five six seven leading questions and just say okay when you guys did that one heist who was it that screwed you and let you get let you get arrested you know what i mean that that kind of thing those sort of leading presumptuous questions that that create a history right away for the characters there again, the the players are coming up with it, so they're going to have more ownership and more buy-in into those characters than they are if they're just handed something. It takes a little bit of time, 15, 20 minutes at the beginning of a game session, usually, but I, my my preference is to, is to do, is that more, less is more. Um, when we did Mission Impartable, I think we just made, but here's, here's another thing I'm going to add on to that. I haven't looked at the character sheets, but uh, just make sure that each character is distinct and unique and good at what they do. Make sure that they have a, they have a role that they that they can fill and that they're good at. If you make a bunch of generalists, unless you're playing a bunch of rangers, <laughs> but, but even then, you still want the character to be unique and different. So each person has a, a unique character that they play. But I think when we did Mission Impossible, Joey, I think mm-hmm. we just left age, sex, name, even their look, completely blank and left that up to the characters to come up with. Even their backstories yeah. were just were just left blank because that gives the player characters A something to do and B it gives them um, you know ownership and and allows them to be more immersed in the game instead of just being handed a sheet and they spend the entire game just looking over the sheet trying to figure out what it is they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I think what so, you guys if I remember, if I remember correctly, I think you just had different folders mm-hmm. and each one just had their background on it. We all knew we were playing bards, but it let you mm-hmm. kind of decide. Okay, do I want to play the performer? Do I want to play the charlatan? That's right. Do I want to play the, and it was that was a really fun way of picking a character out of the box. And that way, the performer one was really good at performing, right? And but everybody had that option to pick what not quite their class, but at least the skill sets. They kind of they kind of knew what they had. And mm-hmm. if you leave it like that and leave everything else blank, the players are going to just they'll be fine with it. 
they'll be fine. They're more than fine. Um, and, and again, the, the gender thing is, you're right. There's, uh, part of me says that why, why should building a female character be any different than building a male character? And then the other argument is why assign a gender at all? It's just a light, leave that blank and then they can play whatever they want, even their age. If they want to play a 15-year-old thief in a D&D game, let them. Why not? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> that could be really fun. So, yeah, that's my, that's my take on con games these days. Other than Freak Show, when I did Freak Show, we just came up with it, and the, it, the characters were such a hit with everybody that they kept coming back and wanting to play it more and more and more. So those characters are all sort of fleshed out with backstories. There's genders, the whole thing. Each one of those are thoroughly filled out, thoroughly worked out characters. But that's kind of a different different thing, because now whenever I run a Freak Show game, the same people that played their characters came back and want to play the characters again. Right. Oh, I think there's definitely something to be said for coming up. If you can come up with really good, compelling characters, people are going to enjoy themselves. It's just it, for me, it's just it's much easier to let the, make the players come up with a compelling character. It's more fun for me. I, mean, I had a lot of fun coming up with backstories for each one of the freak show characters. I, I mean, a lot of. Fun. And my whole thing on it was, I'm going to make player. I'm going to make characters that I would like to play. So right. each one of those characters is something that I would have a lot of fun playing, and it turns out other people did too. You know, one of the one of the most fun um, con games I ran was the Agents of Smirsh. Which do you remember that? That was mm-hmm. I, I, there was it was six players. I think it was in Savage Worlds. I don't remember what it, it might have been in Gerbs. I don't remember. I may have done it in both. But it, there were six characters, and they were all um, agent. You know what Smirsh is? Smirsh was the the secret organization that Stalin put in place to to hunt down spies and kill them. And so, but this okay. takes place the 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 game the game took place in like the the 60s I think 1960s or something like that and um, so they, they're they infiltrating the United States because they're, they're, at one point Smirsch was also responsible for recovering Hitler's remains so in the in the game I made I decided that someone had cloned Hitler and that one of his clones was running for Senate in the United States so the Smirsch agents are being sent into the United States to assassinate this this Hitler clone who's running for the Senate, and and in in that case, I made each character you know individual characters came up with their backgrounds, their names, and all that stuff. But the, one of the things that I did, and I've done it in other games as well, is I divided the party, and there were basically two sort of um, what's the term I'm looking for factions within the party. One was old guard Stalinists. And these are like there's three three characters were like they're they're basically just super 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 brutal, and they're there they're true believers and they're there to to uh, to just just kill whatever gets in their way from Mother Russia and that's it. And the other three characters were were more like the 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 um, what was his name uh, Khrushchev. They were they were sort of the Khrushchev characters because Khrushchev is the is the one that came to the United States and he wanted to go to Disneyland and and he was he, I mean he he still was a little little crazy with his banging of the shoe on the on the table at the UN but other than that he was he was seemed to be a little more conciliatory so there were three other characters who were like we're in America this is great you know and they wanted and they're dressing with like the shirts with the big lapels and you know I'm a wild and crazy guy those kind of guys 
So, so you had these two factions within it, one of which is like totally brutal, we're going to kill whoever we need to kill, even if they're just in our way. And the other group is like, no, no, this is a good place. So it created conflict within the party itself, in addition to the mission that they had to complete, because they still had to complete the mission, which they all, of course, believed in. I did the same thing in the, when I did the Big Blue Monkeys from Outer Space game, which was, again... I was going to say that. Yeah, I remember three, that. Yeah, you had you had two factions within the group, right. basically, and they did, but those two did not agree. Sometimes, well, the, the 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 leaders of each faction were each the captain of their own ship, but they're only on one ship, so there's only one real captain, but the other one has the same rank. And they also, when I built those two characters, they both had exactly the same stats and skills. Yeah, except for one. <laughs> one of them was really good with guns. The other one was really good with swords. Swords. Other than that, they had exactly the same character. So that and it were and it happened several times when I when I ran that game, something would happen and it's like oh we need someone who knows how to do this oh I know how to do this well so do I well let's see who's better <laughs> so right away there's a there's sort of a rivalry between them and then then of course the the the, the characters under them that, that aren't captains are sort of also sort of fell in line on their particular side but ha- having building in building in that sort of that level of tension not enough to like derail the game. But to make it, to turn to turn the the result of the scenario into sort of a competition amongst the characters, sometimes makes it more interesting. I had um, a one shot with some friends who, you know, how in Fiasco you can tell the other players if the scene's going to go well or uh, poorly for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't want to spend a lot of time building character because the problem I find with a lot of the PBTA style um, games, uh, hippy dippy games, has been that character creation, especially relationships, takes about an hour. So at a con, you take a four-hour game, you turn it into a three-hour. Right. Um, no matter how well-meaning you you guys are, um, and so what my uh, what our GM did for this uh, one shot was they just gave us dice. And if you rolled an even number, like turn to the person on your left, roll a, roll a die, even number, you have a positive relation, something positive, uh, uh, odd, something negative. And so it made it very quick for us to say like, I think you're kind of nosy. And that was it. And it gave us just enough that we could make up whatever it was organically during play, but it didn't stop us from, it didn't stall us for an hour coming up with um, it complex and interesting uh, complex uh, backstories for each other mm-hmm. or our relationships. So there's there are a lot of ways to generate um, generate backgrounds and relationships without I think making it an hour of <laughs> your time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dave and I once ran a, a traveler game where uh, we basically built bare bones of the, of the characters. And I think we <clears> put them through one tour and then we let them go through another two or three tours because most people didn't play Traveler at the time and they had more fun with character creation as we knew they would. And then basically we had the last hour was just they had to get off planet. They were on a planet and it was a that was the whole gig. And they I had people coming up to me for the rest of the con saying that was so much fun. That was so interesting. So it it can be, but we actually built that into the into the game which is we're going to make Traveler characters and this is the this is what we're doing. Too. Well, I think it Don't depends expect. a lot on the system you're playing. Because a lot of people attract true. for Traveler. If I'm going to a con game to play Traveler, I kind of want to go through Traveler character creation. Because mm-hmm. that's a game in itself. And I'm expecting to spend at least an hour doing that. Yes. I feel the same way about PBTA games. So I'm going in to play Masks or 
demigods or something wanting to build those characters at the table and those relationships. Yep. If it's, you know, um, a vampire fighting game or, or D&D, yeah, I don't need to spend that much time on it. I like having this connection, but for a four-hour game, then, you know, a quick little, I don't like you, I'll figure out later, you know, why. That's yeah. fine. But if it's, if it's built into the game, I want to do that at the table. Yep. Sometimes it's more fun than the games. Yep. One last thing I wanted to say about it, just as an overview of con games, is uh, I think you'll find that when people go to a con and play a game, they're there to play. They're not going to sit around and mess around. And I know what happens, used to happen with Stu's games all the time. We get together because we hadn't seen each other in two weeks, and we talked for 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. We would play a game. And Stu would roll his eyes and be very patient, but after a while, it would settle down into a game. But people at a con game, from being from the from the top of the hour, they're on. All right, all right entertain us. What, what are we doing? And they're there, and it's intense for four hours. You get a lot done in four hours if players are paying attention, it turns out. <laughs> Stu had to go to the bathroom a couple of times and come up with no plot. Right, yeah. Because things are really intense. They, they just want to burn through it, yeah. They're there to play, and they're all into it. All right. Well, thank you, Out of Print GM, for the email. Um, did you guys see the, the stupid pie chart that got put up about who plays D&D? No, I missed I- that. I did, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it for a very long time. Of course, you didn't. That's because you're nowhere near the, the near the upper age range. <laughs> so it says that that eight to twelve year olds, twelve percent of the of the D and D player community. Thirteen to seventeen, thirteen percent. Eighteen to twenty four, fifteen percent. And then there's a little bracket that says forty percent of players are twenty four years old or younger, Generation Z. And then it has uh, 25 to 29-year-olds, 15%, 30 to 34-year-olds, 19%, 35 to 39-year-olds, 15%, and 40 to 45-year-olds, 11%. And if you add all that up, it comes out to 100. So if you're over 45, you don't play D&D, apparently. Hmm. I figured that's because by the time you hit 46, you realize the game sucks, <laughs> and you stop playing it and play something else instead. You are lucky we are social distancing, or I would have many words. <laughs> With you post well, the, why do you think that no one over the age of forty-five plays plays D anD D according to this infographic? Because their eyes are too bad to read the dice. <laughs> well, then why are they playing other games? <laughs> and they make Pure big senior dice. They make big se- senior dice. I'm sure they do. They make senior cards with big, you know, numbers on them. I'm sure they make senior dice. Make senior well, phones. They make senior people, phones. They do. They make people senior over everything. 45 don't want to learn a new system, so they're stuck playing D&D 2nd Edition, and they're all out of print now. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm going to say, I'm much more cynical. I'm going to say that um, because after 45, they've, all, they've had to go through a divorce, they have no money, and they can't afford all the supplements anymore. So they just dropped the game. That's grim. Yeah. Uh, okay, counter uh, counter. Thing, example. Uh, did anyone ever see the story hey, going around about Jesus hey, Christ? <laughs> hey, Stu? Yes. I just turned 46 and I'm about to play a D&D game in 30 minutes. Well, clearly, according to Watsi, you're not. You think you're playing D&D, yeah. but you're probably not. Get out, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Adam was much louder than Joey was just now. (laughs) Adam is much louder than Joey. Unless it involves singing. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Did any of you guys? I I think I have. 
Uh, oh, no, I think she was just calling me loud. There was, uh, there was a story going around, maybe it was Tumblr, uh, a few, uh, a while back about La Terminator, who was um, someone's, like, French-Canadian grandmother who joined their D&D game as a druid. And um, she was, and, and, like, she really fucking enjoyed the game, and she came up with the Terminator on her own because she was thinking about, like, termites. Uh, and she had, she, like, thought the name was cute, and no one realized, like, she had no idea it was, like, a, you know, franchise or anything. And I, I'll have to find it and post it in the forums afterwards, but it's, like, a very heartwarming story. So... Old people play D&D, but whoever did that thing, their sample size sucked. Yeah, I, I don't know where it actually originated, because I've seen four or five people posted on Twitter, all people over 45, who are like, what the fuck? So, I don't I'm know. I'm confused. The people over 45 on Twitter? Yes, actually quite a few. I like your spirit now, just too. They're, they're playing games, they're just go. not playing D&D anymore. <laughs> Uh, no, no, they, I mean, there are. There, I know that there's people playing D and D who are old. Yeah, I think that I think they put this out because they were trying to. It was it. My guess, it's probably it, we're not the audience for this. It's probably maybe for investors or something saying, "Look, look at that. Look at how young our demo is. This is. I mean, this is going to be a great investment or whatever they're thinking. I don't know. I think young people yeah. made the graph. I think, oh, I think that's obvious. Someone yes. who just didn't know anyone over forty-five, like, or didn't know anyone who <laughs> gamed over forty-five. Well, I'm assuming it was some kind of there was some sort of research done. Either they f- people filled out a survey or something. They, or, unless they literally pulled the numbers out of their ass, which I guess is possible. I don't I'm know. Gonna vote they pulled the numbers out of their ass. Maybe they did. All right. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I just wanted to mention that because that, that's been bugging me all week. Pissed me off. Um, and D&D sucks. TSR. Sorry, Quatsy. Hey. <laughs> I just showed my age. All right. <laughs> Exercise 4 from Uncommon Man. Who would like to read? Oh, this is one it. of the round-robin things when they, yeah. they, they, we, each, we each give our take on it and, and go along. <clears throat> Do you want to stop at each question? Or go sure. Through six yeah, stop, stop at each question. Okay. Uh, prescript. Eat, drink, and be merry. Mm-hmm. Lost at sea. The setting and system is up to you. Go for what you usually run or something else. Your players have managed to get their PCs lost at sea. They leak blood into the water and something is closing in on the small floating device they're on. Question number one. What resources would you let the players keep from their normal gear? They leak blood into the water and something is closing in on on the small floating device they are on. Oh man! Okay. So, I, go ahead. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Savage Worlds because I was just sitting here thinking about the freak show. Uh, and I'm probably going to because Savage Worlds is great with pulp. I'm going to go with historic. So they were on. I'm going to say they were merchant marines and their and their um their ship got torpedoed. Okay, I'm going to go D and D five E because someone has to stand it on this channel. And um, I'm going to go normal high fantasy with D&D 5e, and I'm going to say that they were uh, adventurers sailing to a new continent, and their ship was attacked by some unknown sea monster, possibly a kraken. No one got a good look at it. Okay. So, all oh. right. No, no, no. Question one is: yeah, uh, yeah. Would you let them keep their normal gear? Right. <laughs> oh. Um. I would let them keep... I'm going to go Survivor on this. They get one item for free. Everything else 
it's going to depend on the item. If it's made of wood, you have a chance to find it or hold on to it, depending on a strength and dexterity check. Uh, if you're talking about armor, you can try to keep it. You're going to make con saves to try to get to you know get to uh, a floating device, or you got to lose the armor. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I would give them one item for free for sure. I'm going to give them what normal people would have in their pockets, it, it being the 40s, let's say. So they would have a lighter, cigarettes, candy bar, and then <laughs> whatever survival kit was in the lifeboat. Uh, I'm going with demigods, and I'm, but I'm going to pull the 10 candles. Whatever you have in your pockets or backpack is what you were able to keep with you. And also, I've always wanted to run a mermaid game, so... I'm very tempted to reskin this as a mermaid game. <laughs> Mermaids don't have to be pretty. I, I didn't say they were gonna be. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> um, so are they like yeah, they, the mermaids? Are, are the mermaids the, the people who are stuck <laughs> on a yeah, floating device? Okay, all right. Um, Let's do that. It's a mermaid game now. Fuck you. <laughs> hmm. Let me think. Uh, I think I would probably well since let's see I'll I'll say it's Call of Cthulhu um, and the, what do they have? Nothing. No, they were probably their bed clothes. I'd probably let let the let the characters each make like a maybe like a will roll or something to see if they had the presence of mind to grab a thing on their way off the ship as it was sinking. How far off of Insmith are they? Pardon? How far off of Innsmouth are they? Oh no, this is like in the middle of the Atlantic. This is like Titanic. That's what ah. I'm thinking. <clears throat> oh, that's cool too. Yeah, they're in the middle of the ocean. So, yes. so for the most part, unless they make a make some kind of like will roll or int roll or something like that to sort of have the presence of mind to grab a thing, they don't have anything. Fuck them. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, question number two: What is going to attack them? This well, is where I would get to pull out the really fun aquatic enemies that no one ever really gets to see in D&D. Uh, again, their ship was attacked by something, so at some point the big bad sea monster is going to make an appearance. But there are a ton of aquatic enemies that you can just flip through the book and find. You've got aquatic elves, you've got sirens, you've got merpeople, you've got... Um, what are they called? The grumpy little fish people. Uh, Trugglers? No, not no, not Trugglers. I don't remember. I could see them in my head in the in the uh, master manual, but I can't picture out what they're called. I'm thinking Murloc. Murloc. Wow. It's very similar to Murloc. It's a D and D version of a Murloc. I just can't remember what they're called. But stuff like that. Play with the stuff that you never really get to use in D and D. I'm gonna go with the whole shark thing. You know, sharks got a dog's eyes. We were floating there in the water, <laughs> but um. But the, the caveat is that because the fleet was sunk, all the submarines are going to come up, right? So there's going to be three or four submarines coming up to check out what's going on. So, you know, if you want to live, you might want to have to get aboard a submarine. Um, we're doing demigods, uh, kind of going along the way of Joey. Uh, but since script mythology is what's in my head right now, you get your Kraken, that's fine. Uh, or... You're re- we're following uh, the Odyssey, in which case one end is Scylla and the other end is Charybdis. Nice. 
Okay, since it's Call of Cthulhu, they're never going to see what it is that's attacking them. It's just going to keep trying to grab them, and if it makes a successful grapple, it's going to pull them underwater and attempt to drown them. Good, you don't want to see never, it anyway. They'll never see it. You're just going insane. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's, actually, that's actually nice of you. That was my interpretation of the Cats movie. I didn't want to see it, because I had to make Sammy rolls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Insanity is okay. a crazy cat. <laughs> wow. How do, well we, how do we make that... I, I was going to say, I really want... I, I joked about it, but I really also want to do a Cats game. Somehow do a PBTA and it's Cats. It can be done, I'm sure. I know. Um, okay. It's a superhero game, because basically every cat has its own superpower. You know, from a cavity to... Uh, you know, yeah. It could be a thing. There is a game called Cat, which is what you do anyway. You can just make your own cat. You, you save humanity from the supernatural because cats are able to go back and forth between the fey realm or the supernatural realm. Yeah, it's just called Cat. I've been wanting to play the game so bad. It's actually really good, and it's not very complicated. It's like four pages or something. I think you can get it for free. Cat. Okay, question number three. How do you make the combat interesting? Uh, well, good. Uh, again, I'm going to have them commandeer, or at least put them in a position where they might want to commandeer a submarine, so it's going to be interesting for them with like a flare gun uh, and you know whatever they have in their pockets to try to take over a submarine. Uh, we're looking at a ton of Dex and Con saves uh, because I personally like Dex fighters, so I want the chance for Dex fighters to shine. Uh, so let's let's make some Dex saves to keep on their feet. Or if you're the fighter who managed to hold onto their plate mail in that first dive, uh, you're probably going to be stuck in one place and making Con saves to uh, try to get up. Or or fight on your back, or I want to see I want to see what interesting ways they can come up with to fight um, in this new predicament. So I imagine a lot of a lot of um, a lot of different saves to do that. Cat is six dollars on drive through RPG right now. Oh, it is okay. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're buying next. So I've just bought that. Um, <laughs> it's cool. It's a cool little story. It's a cool little game. Uh. Something that makes life needlessly complicated, but uh, I feel like is underused, especially when you do water campaigns, is you do have to fight in more than 360. Uh, uh, and I have always, like, it's just, that's that makes combat interesting. It makes combat very frustrating. But if you're doing theater of the mind, and if you're like me, and like to reward players for doing weird shit, Taking advantage of the fact that gravity is sort of an op- is sort of optional is something that I think uh, I would want to do. Water um, resistance is a thing too. That is true. Also, uh, the fact that most people, uh, most D and D spells or most spells in general, people tend to lean towards fire, and um, demigods has a has an entire. Um, class of verdant who grow things and um, unless you know a lot about algae or something those resources are not going to be available to you and that, I like those kind of handicaps so I like seeing players get creative cool since 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 my my example is call of Cthulhu there's no hope of them winning the combat combat's not ex- interesting in call of Cthulhu it's terrifying so th- to make it interesting, and rather in- instead of just having a TPK, they have to get to like the the iceberg that sunk the ship to be able to get onto it. Because I'm assuming they're hanging on to something. They're not actually on a lifeboat or something. They're in the water holding on to something. So they have to they have to swim 
while f- trying to fight off whatever horrible tentacled thing is underneath them to try to get to the the uh, either a larger piece of debris or to get to an iceberg or something like that so they can get on land or not in water. Uh, question number four. Will the players get any help if the combat starts to go badly? Hmm. I'm going to say no. Um, well, maybe. You know what? No, no. Because if you start bringing in NPCs to help, then they become GM NPCs, at least in my mind. So, uh, no, not really. I'm going to say yes, but not by NPCs. I think I would set up some kind of encounter that, yeah, it's possible for them to win and, you know, really survive this battle. But if it looks like they're losing and they're losing badly, I might throw a bigger monster at them to encourage them to flee to maybe a bigger piece of flotsam to an island that I they suddenly see that's not far away. If they're fighting 10 or 15 mobs and are losing badly... Maybe that's when the sea monster comes up and makes a meal out of the mobs they've been fighting and then turns to look at them. So it gives them, you can't win this, get the fuck out. Um, I'm leaving it, uh, like, I feel like the players should be able to lead that. Um, if the, I don't like TPKs. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, they're not fun for anyone. So unless this is supposed to be the finale and everyone is supposed to die, they're gonna get help, but... It is, but I'm going to make it something that's going to bite them in the ass later if they try to take advantage of it for too long. If you're doing, uh, it's it's demigods, uh, you can find Cersei's Island, because she loves people. Um, (laughs) You can do, like, there's, you know, the Odyssey is also just full of people who look like they're nice and just aren't. So, uh, there's no lack of that. Um, But, like, I don't like TPKs, so of course they're going to get help. Uh, if I'm running Call of Cthulhu, no, they're not getting any help. If they don't run fast enough, that's their own problem. Make a faster character next time. <laughs> oh, man. Abandon them. You're on your own. Should have made a faster character. Stu, Stu, I need to play Call of Cthulhu with you at some point because I like suffering, apparently. Oh, it's harsh. Uh, okay, and last question. <clears throat> One player has a large dose of poison slash explosives and wants to eat them to use their own body to poison or explode and kill the attacker. How do you resolve this? I just... I, I make sure that that that's really what they want to do, that they're going to die. There is no deus machina that they're coming back, and, you know, they can talk it out with the rest of the party. But, uh, yeah, if that's what they want to do, it's their character. They can do that. I think I, that's how I run every game, which is if you really want to you know, eat those explosives and run at them, okay, you will die. That's a great way for a character to die. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's yeah, going to remember the game. They're just going to remember what happened at the end when, when you ate the dynamite and ran at them. That's what people are going to remember. Yeah, I would just confirm with the player, like, you're aware your character's not coming back from this. Yeah, there is no, and there is no Deus Machina. Like, what do you mean I died? It's like, dude, you blew yourself up. You <laughs> ate a bunch of C four and threw yourself at a sea monster. I don't really know how this C four works, but in my brain it does. In D D and D C four works that way. 
Now, Look, if, yeah. they can, if you can kill a shark with an oxygen tank, I mean, why not, right? Right. Which is um, funny, when you pick up Savage Worlds, I tried doing that in Spaniard's Ghost, and the stupid monster had a Benny, and negated my awesome role. I was really, really sad about that. Sorry. That sucks. So no, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, um, I, threw, I threw a powder keg in its mouth and tried to shoot it with my flip-flop pistol, and... It, I rolled well, but the Benny knocked it, knocked it away. I mean, in, so my, not- in my game, I could totally see like they've, they've, they've taken control of this submarine. It's not very working very well. There's another submarine chasing them, so somebody they turn loose a torpedo. Somebody gets on the torpedo and steers it towards the other boat, which I could totally be doing. <laughs> and I'm like, go, man, you go. <laughs> Doctor Strange love style. Yeah. Um, I. I'm one of Clara's characters. Uh, okay, first of all, <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, 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 look, I like doing cool things. It's why I play tabletops. Um, There's no judgment. Yeah. Uh, uh, Demigods is cool because it actually has, um, it has, like, PBT, a lot of PBTAs give you, um, options for what happens if you die. Or in, um, Demigods, I think it's if you, if you ascend, like, you're no longer a demigod, so you can't really play, but you do get some other cool nonsense that you can do. Um, so I would have, try to. They also have angry parents that could intervene as well. That, that would, yes, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, death can just be the beginning um, for a lot of people. So if you if like, I'm never gonna say don't kill yourself if in game if that's what you want to do. Um, obviously, it should be very clear like you're gonna die. Uh, but if it's like mid game if it's a, if i'm doing a one shot you know <clears throat> fine do the thing if it's a campaign sure and we'll discuss whether or not you're coming back or if you're gonna how you're gonna come back or if you're gonna roll up a new character uh but like, i mean again demigods means that there are lots of uh afterlives we can explore as well so i mean it's it's a it's an option like i said i like doing weird cool things in game so uh, I am totally the kind of person who would volunteer to jump into a shark's mouth and explode. I had a friend do that in a game where they jumped into a kraken and killed it from the inside, Drax style. And honestly, it is still the coolest thing I've ever seen anyone do in game. So people remember. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not going to kill the thing that's underneath the water. <laughs> but you might distract it long enough so that the rest of the party can get to safety. I will allow that, but you will not kill it. It's, it, it. Your puny explosives and poisons aren't going to fucking stop an elder god or the minion of an elder god. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, hugs and kisses from Sweden. Thank you, Uncommon Man, who sometimes I misidentify as someone else. I don't remember who it is. Can't remember. All right. Uh, storing digital content and uh, GM lessons learned heavy metal jest. Does someone want to read half and I'll read the other half? I can read half. Okay. And shout out to Where's... Heavy Metal Jess. She's been one of our original listeners for the longest time. She's been with us for at least 10 years or so. I know she lives up in Oregon and such stuff. Jess. And she's in the chat room right us. now. She's yeah, in the chat room. Awesome. Right Thanks, Jess. Good to have you with us still. It's good to. It's good to hear your name every now and again. Now, did the. this Is it Cats of Cthulhu? <laughs> no, because they're asking. No, they're trying what to. What is that? They're trying what is to. That? They're trying the, the Necronomicon. Oh, that's adorable, but no. 
Um, I'm trying to figure out what game it is. Well, let's see. A couple people put. put this is links. Cats Revised and Expanded. Cats Revised and. Cat Revised and Expanded. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. One singular cat. All right. So that's the one that. But. That's the. That, that's one of the links that got put up. But there's uh, apparently there's other. There's a Cthulhu cat games too. So did you know there's well, actually know mine also. Did you know that do you yeah. remember that what was it called? The real Ghostbusters? Which was the the no, it wasn't the real Ghostbusters. The real, the real Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters The Real That was the one with the gorilla, right? Wasn't the real Ghostbusters? No, that was the other one. That was the one that was actually based on the on the on the on the movies. That's the real one. The real Ghostbusters. Okay. There's an episode called Call of Cthulhu. I suggest you go watch it. I'm not. I'm going to say anything else, but that that just reminded me <laughs> I, of that. <laughs> it's. I was going to say like anyone who has followed me on Twitter for a minute knows that I just won't download any game that has small creatures in it. So you will. Cat is definitely. I just. I really like tiny woodland creatures fighting. <laughs> I played now, have you played Mouse Guard? It was actually. A, it was actually a, somebody who was a reporter who came to a con, came, sat in on a Happy Jacks game. Was so enamored with the whole role playing thing, he went out and bought Cat, and then ran that. It was a great little game, but it's it's one of these neat little games that is not very big, it's not very expensive, and it's a lot of, of theater in the mind kind of stuff. And the little backstories, but I had a great those time. Are, those are some of my favorite yeah. games. Girl Underground yeah. is very similar, and I love Girl Underground. I really loved Girl Underground. Um, yeah, I mean, like, look, it's it, if, if you're uh, if you're like me, and you role play to escape for escapism. Any time you can get away from being even human is pretty fun. So uh, they're saying in the in the uh, Eric Odd in the chat room said the original Ghostbusters. I guess they must have renamed it when the movie came out because I remember I thought it was just Ghostbusters. Is it called the original Ghostbusters? And it had Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker. I didn't re- I, see. I remember watching that show, but I don't remember anything about it, and I don't know if I, if if I was aware enough to realize that the cast of F Troop was in it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go find that again. Sorry. Go ahead. You lost me. Um, but I'm gonna make an F Troop game now. Hi, F Troop game. <laughs> Who says I'm slow? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. Sure. Go ahead. It's just it's just fiasco. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> sorry, Claire. Uh, it's fine. Uh, two things for one long email. Please take a drink in between, as there will be no PS. Thing one: storing digital content. Recently, in episode twelve, Sean wrote in asking Sean wrote in asking for tips on storing digital content. Uh, first, can we talk about people who poo-poo physical game uh, book collections? When I'm working on something, I love looking over what's on my shelf to see what I can pull from. It gives my brain time to focus before I start working. Right? His, I agree. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I agree. <laughs> uh, to his call-out uh, tags in Drive, to his call-out tags in Drive, I had extreme luck uh, to talk directly to a Google um, Apps rep at my last job. He told asked that he asked what one thing they could do to improve, and his request was my response. The rep seems surprised by the, uh, but excited by the idea. I think they actually are working on something like that. If you go into Drive now, you have uh, you have the option to add a shortcut to Drive, which does something similar. I thought I would share uh, my system in hopes to, that it's helpful for someone. I'm terrible at reading things out loud. I'm sorry. Good. I don't. 
I don't know how much this help. Uh, I don't know how much it helps me, but if I look for something, I can find it. My problem is remembering that I have something. So if someone has a solve for that, please advise. Maybe happy. Uh, I know he was forced to go digital in the past. Things I'm currently using and referencing uh, during prep, I keep in Google Drive. This is because I work on my games from from multiple locations and devices, and this makes it easy to find when I need them. Everything else lives on a backup storage drive, and I will dig uh, into that when I need to find something. Uh, content is both organized by themes, since I like my uh, I like to mine multiple system content for my games. So everything fairly uh, everything fairly related is together. Everything weapon specific is together. Monster specific is together. Anything that covers huge chunks of info, like a player's handbook, lives in a folder called General Rules. Uh, the same method is used for a massive storage of fantasy artwork. Anything for my current game is in drive uh, is in drive for myself, organized by species slash race for figures, by biome for landscapes, and by other type for items. I also have a, a folder I share with my PCs when we do character creation that I fill with images once I get character concepts from them to help uh, them find inspiration. And occasionally, they just pick one of my images, uh, the images as is. Older stuff that I may, may feel I feel may be useful for future gamer uh, games goes onto an external hard drive, um, organized the same way as my drive. For anything I use in a session, I swear by the Staples Better Binder, which I use upside down because I also trend uh, to the sinister path of left-handedness. Uh, I also have lots of kinds of clear plastic covers. I love the fold-out 11 by 17 ones for maps. And I love the Rubbermaid plastic edge magazine holders, which turn into pamphlets and smaller books into, which turn pamphlets and smaller books into inserts for a three-ring binder. Uh, you can even staple printed pages together to use this. Stork needs to try the new generation of erasable pens. They are significantly improved on those in the 90s. Pilot Friction is my favorite. Th- Want to pause there and talk some <clears> of <throat> this? Yeah, it's oh, yeah. two thoughts. Um, yes. Jess, you kind of already do what I do, so I, there's not much I can say, except that I still like to design module, modules like little Legos. So I'll, I'll do a scene. Let's say it's a, a wizard tower. And everything I want in that wizard tower goes into that folder. Sometimes it's just it's still it's still floating around in the, in the drive somewhere. But I will make a copy of it and put it into that scene. So that way, when I open up the wizard tower, everything I need is in that wizard tower, from um, the loot to the, the you know what it looks like, some pictures, all of that stuff. So I'm gonna still design and keep them set up by scene. And sometimes I'll repurpose it if they don't make it to the wizard tower, and then it becomes to the the underground lair. But the you know the map is still viable. All of the all of the, the dressings are all still there. So I st- I still clump by by scene, and that that helps me. That way, all of the stuff I need is in that one folder that says that scene, and I can just open it up instead of going, oh yeah, I had a picture put it over here, and I had this over there, and then in between you just use the general rules or shooting the hip. That's that's what I do, and it seems to work for me. That way, I can't lose it because it's all in one place. I don't really GM, but from a player's perspective, I have everything organized by system. So I have a folder in Google Drive for PBTA that I have all my mask stuff, all my Monster Heart stuff, all in different. I love folders upon folders upon folders. So I'm naive, uh, neurotic. Um, you also, also, did, you also audition for theater, and you're you're great at with your folders and your inserts and your. Uh, I've seen your I've seen your book. It's it's very yeah. well organized. Uh, thank you. Uh, but I also have a folder uh, towards the beginning called current campaigns, completed campaigns, and current campaigns where I have like stuff for our vampire game, stuff for our D and D game that I can pull up. That is all of my character information, my character sheet, any reference photos that I have character backgrounds, all for that game in that folder. And I keep both current and complete, because you never know when someone wants to be like, hey, I'm throwing together like a three-session D&D game. 
level 15, you know, do you have something? Oh yeah, I completed that game like two years ago and here's a couple characters that I have that an easy level to 15. It's always kind of nice to have all that stuff on, on hand just in case you need it. But it's is- helpful for a player just to have a separate folder for current games you go to automatically and know exactly where all your character stuff is. That is one bonus of uh, digitals uh, as a GM is to archiving. I still have all my stuff archiving games in folders on my hard drive. And you can store a lot more stuff. Like for, for our vampire game, I joked about it. I legitimately have about 40 images, four different outfits. <laughs> I can scroll through and decide, oh, we're going where? Uh, we're going to go with that outfit today. It's like my own personal clueless closet. <laughs> yeah. I am the trope of incredibly messy physical spaces and a very clean desktop. Um, so I'm a folders upon folders kind of person as well. Uh, anything that I'm working on currently or I need to, I find I need to access remotely uh, goes directly into a Google Drive that ha- I have the big RPG slash LARP uh, folder and then everything's divided by game. Um, for GMing, if it's divided by game, like all of my D and D stuff is in a D and D folder. And then there's usually like a working campaign folder. Um, and like, I have my character sheets and all of those within them. Uh, and on my computer, I'm just starting to build a digital library of games. So, uh, but everything in there is organized by system because Mm -hmm. I don't run that many games. I am running more. Um, so I tend to, but once it's within a system, I can just, I, I have a title for each game and I can dig through those. Um, I kind of do what Stork does and make the modules. I used to have a lot of books. Uh, and about two years ago, I want to say, I ended up donating them to uh, an organization that donates books to prisons. Uh, tabletop World books, books to prisons. I asked the Happy Jacks crew to donate them as well. Um, this isn't poo-pooing books. I love being able to flip through them but I just don't have a lot of space to keep them. And editions go out of style or get updated. And then you have an entire collection of 4E that no one ever liked and no one uses. And honestly, I feel kind of guilty for giving them to prisoners. But um, anyway, digital's great. Uh, It also means that you can send things around. Uh, Something else I use that I don't think the other three people on this particular podcast use, Pinterest. Uh, Joey, I have uh, a Pinterest account. Do you? Do you yeah, use it for D&D and for uh, tabletops? Last time I used it was when I ran L5R. Okay. I was getting all kinds of pictures of samurais. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a really good way to collaborate with your players and also just with your friends um, to make worlds and to get a feel for the world. And like your players can sort of submit ideas they have for themselves and their characters. So it's a nice way to sort of have that third layer of like at least imagery. It is a pain in the ass to sort through if there's like one picture you really want, though. Right. Yeah. And you can't really download yeah, the whole. I you can down. You can download, you can download Pinterest. Pinterest. Just... Right click store. Come on. It just takes so <laughs> much more effort. I just... long press. I gotta long press the thing, and I gotta. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to the second part two thing two. Yeah. All right. A GM lesson learned. I'm currently running my first investigation-heavy plot in a 5e, in 5e and royally screwed up. Here's a story of a successful resolution. After a tense battle where I thought I peppered a lot of plot details, one of my players told me, Well, I have no idea what to do. I feel like we've explored all my ideas. Everyone else nodded. That made me feel like crap. 
That happens to me all the time. It's like, uh, we, we're, we're at the end of our rope. We have no idea what's going on. And you're like, but I told you everything. I pretty much gave it away. How could you not know? You think yeah. you did, you think you did, but a lot of times you didn't. Because you, no. you this you, happened to me very recently too. <laughs> um, uh, everyone else nodded. That made me feel like crap. Uh, I had done all the things. I made multiple references to plot details. I exposed them to lots of places with contacts they could question. I described on-topic books on NPC desks. But in hindsight, I also made some mistakes, and so did my players. First, I made things too hard. I often figure out movie and show plots very early, and so attempted to, quote-unquote, remedy this. <laughs> see, I'm the guy who's like, at the end of the movie, is like, Whoa! I didn't see that coming at all! That's me, every oh, no. time. I'm totally <laughs> in the same boat as... Yeah, me too. I figure everything. I figure everything out. After sometimes I have to then go home and like, what did that mean? And then go on the internet and find out. But no, when I'm watching a movie, I just sit and I just watch, and I don't try to think about it. Trained as a comic book artist and work in the industry, and I, I mean, I know from storytelling, and I can see a plot line coming a mile away. Every now and again, as an actor, I just get really wrapped up to learn how to like figure out story arcs. I studied film and I still like I still like I get really wrapped up into it and then I'm like wow that's so cool and then I'm like in hindsight that makes sense but like <laughs> I like that yeah, I mean unless it's just really ham-fisted storytelling where I'm like like the latest Star Wars movie where it's like what what I didn't see that coming because it was not even in the it makes no sense but <laughs> All right. Uh, first, I, I, mean, I mean, things too hard. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. Uh, what I learned is other people don't have this problem. I call it a problem because it ruins most things for me. I made the clues too obscure and left too much white space for players to connect them. Second, I didn't recap before each session. That's a big Ooh. thing when you're dealing with any kind Ooh. of investigation or mystery. Totally. You got to have your recaps. In fact, some of Stu's recaps in our first uh, games gave away stuff that we didn't know. Because I, sometimes handy. I forget whether right, I said something like, or not. Ah! It was actually really handy to have the GM recap for us. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've done that more than once. Um, uh, I didn't recap before the session. I made the bad assumption that my players were reading my recaps. They weren't. Of course they're not. <laughs> Don't read rule books. All right. Uh, from the player's side, they didn't take good notes. We only play once a month. Oh, yeah. You're, that's hopeless. If you're playing yeah. that infrequently, no one's going to remember what happened. And they weren't. You're not going to remember what happened. No, no way. And they weren't keeping track of things or or reading the recaps. Uh, they were also too trusting and never questioned the motives of people they were talking to. My big bad is a night hag. They literally told her their plan and all the things they have found while she was shapeshifted. I dropped clues that she seemed suspicious. Not a single insight check. You can't. Yeah, you can't rely on on successful roles if you're trying to give information out. But like right. after the third or fourth time, they don't make an insight check. Maybe say, "Give me an insight check." I'm sorry, you like, broke up. I didn't hear what you said. One more time. Say. Like after the third or fourth time your players encounter her and don't make an insight check, maybe ask them to make an insight check. <laughs> well, she admitted she made. Especially if it's in their, but like yeah, but it, even if like if it makes sense yeah. that hey, this character who's a scholar or, or a rogue who's gotten by on scamming people, make an insight check. 
you're, you get, you're kind of getting a weird read off her. Can I get you to make an insight check? Sometimes you kind of have to put the guardrails up a little bit. And if they feel the insight check, then that's their own damn fault. But, you know. Should have made a faster character. <laughs> All right. Um, at the beginning of the next session, I gave them some advice. Quote, perhaps you are too trusting in general, end quote. Gave them a list of places they might find more information, a thieves' guild, a magic library, a temple, and gave them a breakdown of the data that they had found related to the mystery. They spent about an hour focusing on the details and making notes. They also spent much of this time discussing who they trust and who they should back in a political power struggle. They had two strings of reasoning and dug in deep to figure out which might be right. They used questioning they used questioning to figure out who they trusted most and took a hard stand. They went back to, and followed up on some of the details a second time to learn more. They even prayed to the gods for help. I rewarded it all and they're back on track but focused on saving their friend before solving the bigger mystery and good on them for it. Going forward, I'm going to read my recap from the previous session. It isn't going to take that long and will help help my players. Also, I've come to the conclusion that for investigation games, it's really better to give physical props representing the clues. Absolutely. Yes, Just make sure that whoever's cool. taking them home, if they're taking them home, shows up every time. Right. Uh, this will signal to the players what is important and help them remember it exists in their if it's in their possession. Um, plus, those are more fun for me to make than maps. God, I hate making maps. Me too. I can't stand making maps. Although that ca- campaign cartographer does a decent job sometimes. Uh- I love making maps, but as a as a player, sometimes it's like you get a map, you're like, "Oh, okay, cool," and then you, but you don't really use it that often. It's no. like for the five hours it took me to make the map, the players will look at it for about thirty seconds to say, "All right, we're in this city. We're going to go to this city. There's a mountains in the way. We'll just take the road." Okay, and they set aside. You're like, you know, I spent five hours on that. Remember that shit map I made for uh, the Mode of Sin game? It was on a black piece of cardstock and I just took like a gold sharpie pen and I just drew a big blob for the island and I scribbled some and we used that freaking map for what two and a half years (laughs) we had it hanging up somewhere yeah it's still there I know Uh, thanks for continuing to put out episodes during lockdown I look forward to them every Friday best of health heavy metal Jess um and Jess I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because we say it all the time especially in the investigative games if there's an important clue, just give it to them. You're really you're not breaking the game, especially as your players are were flailing around in the dark for the longest time, and eventually, I guess that's what you ended up doing. But I mean, Stu had that note too, which is don't make them write, make rolls because rolls can be failed. And if it's important to the plot, if it's important for them to move forward, just give it to them. Mm-hmm. It's not going to take away from their enjoyment of the game. In fact, in many ways, it'd be relieved that they can now move forward. Right. You know the thing. The thing about recaps, I have to be real careful because, and we've kind of alluded to this already. When I write recaps, they're they're for me. It and it's gonna. It, I mean, if you look in my in my uh, OneNote folder, you know, at the beginning of every session, I put what happened last time, and then I write out my recap for it. If I read those verbatim, the game would be over that session. Because it's like, um, the players went to this place and they met the big bad who's disguised as this, da-da-da-da-da. Because I'm going to keep all that shit straight in my head, right? 
So, I, so that's why I, I almost always would prefer to rely on a player recapping, and then I kind of look through my notes as they're recapping and seeing, are there any important points that they missed or that they're not mentioning that is something they're going to need to know? And those I will go ahead and give to them. But for the most part, I can't... My, my, my recap notes are for me. And they're... Mm-hmm. It, 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 I've done it in the past. I've done it two or three times where I start to read and like... I, I, think, I have a similar oh. thing with my character notes. Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, go. I have a similar thing with my notes I take during a game. So I take pretty decent notes, but they're very character-centric. They're very much, what is going on with my character? What has my character discovered? Um, because, A, it helps to prevent metagaming, but if you're relying on those for a full system recap, if, not, if I wasn't in that scene, you're kind of relying on me remembering as opposed to what I wrote down. Or I might have written down like a small little, like arrow note but nothing really substantial um so it kind of helps if every table is kind of all co-recapping and also it's everybody involved it's kind of warmed up for the game i rely um, on my fellow players uh, to help me re- recap games i'm terrible at, i was terrible at notes in college and i'm terrible at notes now and i'm fortunate enough to play in games with sam who writes the best notes so i've been really spoiled but carry on if you have, uh, I, I, this is sort of a thing I did with um, a fledgling group of players who had never touched a tabletop in their life. Um, I made, I just assigned homework. I made one person recap every week. And uh, for the first uh, first couple sessions, I chose the person at random to make sure they were taking notes. Uh, and later they just got into the rhythm of recap, of kind of going around the table and recapping on their own. And it trained them to take notes that it trained uh but I was also sort of training them to play the game. So Stu, Stu used to give away XP or pennies for the person that was yeah. would take the notes. Who, who, who would recap? That's a system. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like uh, we got lucky. Oh, uh, we got lucky on. Um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, we got lucky on uh, second star because uh, Adam liked doing the recaps as Captain Malop. I can't remember his name. Man. Yeah, that's as right. As the captain, Malata. and that was. Was that so was great. fucking great. <laughs> I love when recaps can be in character, um, but like they're kind of what uh, Joey said, where you kind of get stuck if you weren't there for it. But it might be something that one of your players likes to do. Yeah, <laughs> make, like, make recaps fun, right? Yeah, it, so see, it the- helps especially for streaming games. I I was the recapper for Carefree High, and what was nice about it was I didn't rely on my notes for the recap, I would go back and re-listen and type up my recap as I was re-listening. So it helped remind me what happened last session while I'm also like keeping it fresh while I'm also doing the recap. And it helped yeah, me pick up on some clues that maybe I missed that I added to my personal notes. But you're you're proactive. You actually would then go back and re-listen and take notes actively. I mean, what do you do when you have a bunch of um, players like me who just sit there and let it wash over them and then don't retain it or don't bother to take notes or take really crappy notes? You know, I, I, I feel her pain because I could see that happening all, all the time, especially if you're only meeting once a month. But I think, mm-hmm. Jess, you probably need to set up something, whether you record the games and listen to them yourself and recap it yourself, or you give somebody free XP to take notes or whatever, because it's it's I could see that's going to be a problem, especially in investigative games, as Stu just said. You Everybody needs to remember yeah. what's happening, because that stuff, because <clears throat> you basically you're assembling clues, and you have to remember all of that stuff, or at least have a record of it, so that you know what happens. And in what order? Right. And along the line of investigative, investigative games, uh, one of the first games I played on podcast, we did a uh, adult Harry Potter game where we're all Aurors in 
wizard in New York City, uh, which is, you know, for those who are not Harry Potter fans, they're like basically wizard detectives. And we had to investigate a crime scene, and none of the players had really had investigation training or investigation on the mind. And we were completely stuck until the GM basically had to slap us with a clue by four. It was like, you guys investigated the crime scene. Did you actually investigate the safe the thing was taken from? And we realized, no. Well, we hadn't. We investigated the scene, we investigated the building, and that the actual scene of the crime. And had to go back, and that's where the clue was. But we, we he let us kind of wander around until we got stuck, and then slapped us over the head. And sometimes you yeah. can't do that. Sometimes you have to remind players who are... No, it's great, but especially if you're not used to playing an investigative game, you're not thinking like an investigator. You're thinking no. like a role player. I will. I will say though, sometimes dropping clues is just really hard. I did um, a Monster of the Week game where everyone was. It was like a Hollywood. It was a, a film set, and uh, Phantom of the Opera basically was destroying stuff on the film set. And every time, and all of the players were you know, members of the crew. So they were looking for the baddie or at least a clue for the baddie. And every, and the big bad turned out to be the assistant of one of the characters. Uh, the problem was ever. And so first they started interviewing like the lead actors and stuff and all of the head honchos. Um, and when that didn't work, I, w- they would try to call people and I'd say, you can talk to their assistant. Cause if they talked to anyone's assistant in the game, it would lead them right to the bad guy. But they were so wrapped up in the joke of not playing, of like not talking to assistants, only talking to the main person. They never did it. And so I halfway, like with an hour left, everyone was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm sitting there like, you can leave messages with assistants. And they're like, yeah, we know, but it's not going to take us anywhere. And I was like, I've never said this. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't like, assume. sometimes they're just, you can't account for what people notice or care about. And there isn't a good way, like, with such a, a clue by form, being like, all assistants talk. It's not like they don't know what's going on. Right. And, I so. mean, and the thing is, and if assistants don't know that, that their boss is the nefarious big bad guy, but you're talking to them, you're, they're going to convey information that's going to look suspicious, even though they're not thinking suspiciously about it. Whereas if they go to talk to the big bad directly, they're just going to lie. Mm-hmm. The, the I think. That, that, well, heavy metal just just mentioned in here. It's it's hard to drop a clue without going too far. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I mean, you want the players to solve the the puzzle, right? You want them you want them to solve the mystery. And all you have to do, I think, I think the easiest if you want to slow them down because it's. I think that's kind of what 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 she's talking about is you don't want them to like okay they go to the crime scene look 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 clue 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 clue, clue. okay it's got to be this person let's go arrest them obviously you don't want that you don't want your 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 long mystery to to last 25 minutes so what you what you need to do is you just need to make sure you need to kind of move the goalpost as to what it is they have to come up with in order to prosecute arrest murder or whatever it is they're going to do to the big bad or whoever whoever it is they're going after you know what i mean i mean you can say you can give them they go let's say the let's say the player characters go into a situation 
are going to a crime scene. They get all they get all the, the clues, and they think, "Oh, it's got to be this guy over here." We we've gone through, we looked through every clue, we looked, we know who all of the, the possible people are. We figured it out. It's got to be this guy. And then they come back and say, "Did you have a warrant to go there?" Oh, I'm sorry, none of that's admissible. Now they have to. Now they know who it is. But now they have to go out and find other information the right way so they can get the guy convicted. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, so, I was, I was going to add to that, Stu, because, because discovering what the, who committed the crime is only half the battle. Now you have to figure out how to get them or at least get them to admit it and all of that. I mean, even in the, um, even in the Agatha Christie books, that was always, you know, the big reveal was a big deal. So you would have to orchestrate you know, these complicated things for the reveal to happen. So just because you find it, you figure it out early on, doesn't mean that the mystery is still over. You still have to get them in a position where you can nail them with it. Right. Mm-hmm. You also or can do stuff. Oh, gosh, darn it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you can also do things like, uh, like as a shoehorn tacked on, cause I'm bad at writing mysteries. Uh, I think it's a, called a kill switch or whatever, where like, if this person goes down, something else goes off. And uh, that's a really good way, in my opinion, to prolong a big bad, is if they're going to just arrest this person, give them a backup plan. Like, it, it means that the, like, there are consequences, like, the, like uh, Stu and Stork were saying, there, are, there can be consequences for doing the right thing that prolong the story just a little longer. And it makes people sort of think about, oh, I guess... It isn't wrapped up in a neat little package. Right. Or like in my, I'm currently playing in an L5R game. And one of the big things to talk about L5R is if you're investigating and you are having a trial, it's not so much important who's guilty. It's who you find guilty. Because if the person who's actually guilty, if they are found guilty, it causes great dishonor or shame upon the emperor or the empire. Well, that's more problematic than the actual crime. So you need to find someone who can be committed guilty for the crime. And so that's kind of what we're dealing with right now is we have, at least I have a suspicion as to who the, the guilty party is, but I don't know if we can prosecute them. So it's now, okay, who can we blame this crime on to clear up everything? It's it's an interesting system that I'd never really encountered before, but it's something you could apply really to any system, depending on the form of government or what you want to do. And. I mean, my last note is, and I said this to Stu all the time, too, which is, you're assuming that we're a lot smarter than we are. I mean, Jess, you're really good at figuring out mysteries. You're also, Elsie, you're the GM, so you have all this knowledge. And what seems obvious to you is not obvious to the players at all. Sometimes sometimes we might know, but maybe we're stuck by our player motivations and we don't really, we can't act on something. Other times, we just don't know. And and I, you should always assume that we are a lot stupider than we than we let on so that you so especially in investigative games because it, I, I just can't overstate that enough we really oftentimes don't know what's happening or we get the completely wrong idea of what's happening and as a GM I mean I know you're saying to yourself I just don't want to tip my hat to really I don't want to I don't want to give them too much and, and my mind is I would rather I'd rather have it be happen earlier and, and be clear than me flailing around for five games in frustration, not knowing what's going on. Right. And I, I remember I'm, I'm hearkening back to the, the, the D and D game I ran when we were playing fourth edition. And I remember I get, you guys were getting little bits and pieces of clues about what was going on. And, and it was this very complex plot. 
and you're getting little bits and pieces and everyone is like i don't know no one knows what what is happening no one can can piece all this stuff together well part of it was that bruce was taking them all and hiding them and not letting but not all of them but he was also reading all of them too and he's like yeah i have no idea where things are going because he had had mentioned that to me at, at one point and so i sat down and and you guys had met someone who had been in prison or something and she was crazy and she had scrawled a bunch of stuff on this wall and i took a piece of paper and i wrote out her insane rambling scrawls on this piece of paper and then and everything you needed to put the pieces together to figure out what's going on was was on that piece of paper because it referenced almost every clue i gave you and when i finally when i finally threw that out you guys spent a good 90 minutes going through looking at it reading through it and say wait a second don't, who has this this because i had a lot of props in that game who has this prop and people start pulling props out and next thing and, and i didn't do anything for like 90 minutes i think i went and went inside and watched tv had a sandwich and come back no they're still talking and but and eventually you guys sat down and figured out pretty close what i was going for but he had i had to give you this this thing and roadmap. it was it was it kind of kind of was it was kind of a roadmap, but it was kind of disguised so that it didn't look like a roadmap and 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 I only made that out of desperation because the players have been flailing for so long trying to figure out what was going on and what they should be doing because they're going into situations like well we don't know if we still don't know who the good guys and bad guys are yet right you know the, right so but that's, you, this and you do you run the you run the risk of making it so hard that your players are like fuck this fuck right? this town fuck these mages I'm leaving I've played in those games I've been it's a player true. in those games and I'm like oh for fuck's sake I give up this is also a pretty good opportunity to utilize your Google Drive and make a clue folder mm-hmm. and just let people access that at the table because then they can just stare at the clues and try to figure out what the fuck is happening and it gives us something to fuck with in between sessions right yeah i make your own little serial killer map where you have the map with all the strings and make it like on a google doc right whatever you do don't make a newspaper with a bunch of ads and things (laughs) in there (laughs) Stu still hasn't learned his lesson that was the great no that was (laughs) that was great I'll tell it's a short story when I when I when I started the first session I ran of uh, vampire 20th anniversary edition was the mode of sin right and I made and it takes place on an island which is Catalina but isn't really a Catalina so and there's two cities there and that's where the the party that's the the four vampires that's that was their coterie that was their domain so I made a newspaper called was the Pleasure Harbor Gazette or something like yeah, that whatever that the, whatever the name of that the yeah. one city was so i made a newspaper it was one sheet tabloid size 11 by 17 and it had a bunch of news articles on it. it was basically just background information about about the the place and stuff like that remember Stu's a frustrated journalist so when he makes a newspaper he, he likes to make a nice newspaper I, it was a good one too it was yeah, a nice was. one i'm outsourcing all of my newspaper making to you now sure i love doing them too um but and then yeah. in the bottom section i had two spots and i didn't in the i'd filled had put all the 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 all the columns were all filled in i had two empty spots i gotta put something there you know what i'll put ads so i put an ad for two things I don't remember what one of them was, but the other one was so-and-so's Old World Tavern, and it was like an Oktoberfest-themed bar owned by this old woman. And for some reason, the party glommed onto this. No, Tim. 
Tim. No, it wasn't just Tim. There were other people who were suspicious, I think, though. Wasn't so. No, he glommed onto it. He started saying, I'm, and he went outside her house and he dragged us yeah, all I know he did that. It. I know he did that. But I, I think some. You guys were having discussions before that. Because I remember someone saying, She's too old to own a bar. Tim said that. Was that what Tim? I said that was someone else. It was all him. Okay. So, and, and then, well, at that point, I'm like, Well, he's obsessed with her. I got to make her interesting. Because at first she was just this old woman who owned a bar. And then he starts asking, they start asking questions. I don't know if it's him that was asking all the questions. It may have been other people as well. One of the questions they asked, they asked is, was she in the bar now? Because they went in and talked to someone. And he's like, no, she only, she's only here until like four o'clock in the afternoon. And they're like, ah, she always leaves before nightfall. She must know about vampires. <laughs> and then, okay. so I, She does now. <laughs> right. So I decided, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make her a mage. And I made her a mage who happens to be living in this in this quiet little little island town, you know, enjoying her retirement or whatever, and maybe keeping an eye on the monsters that happen to be around. But and she ended up kind of playing a major role in the game Absolutely. and she was a total throwaway. She wasn't even a character. Nope. Now, I know I know why this unfolded. I watched it happen in real time because I was in that game and I and I knew having because Stu has forgotten this, I glommed onto a, a red herring in a newspaper he made for a Savage Worlds game that we first made about a bear attacking campers. <laughs> That's right. And then so we went all the way to this place and we thought there were Nazis making mutant bears because it was, you know, it, it was sort of included in this thing. And I'm like, let's follow that up. And Stu was horrified and eventually at the end of the session he goes, guys. You, you totally went on the wrong story. The bear thing was just filler. It had nothing to do with I had this really cool Nazi thing, and you guys decided to go out and shoot a bear. Story. Yes. Would you call that a red bearing? It was. I think that was the joke that we ended up making. Right. And so then Stu was like, and so so when Tim got a hold of this newspaper and glommed onto that, I went, oh no, it's happening again. Oh no. And I watched it unfold, and he was like, come on, guys, I'm going to go buy your house. I'm like, Tim, it, it, never mind. You know what? Never mind. You go. You go, and let's see what happens this time. But, <laughs> Maybe yeah. that is the advice. Like, see? if your characters are play are are you're afraid your characters going to solve a uh, uh, mystery too early, give them a newspaper. There you go. The latest one that Stu put out actually has hyperlinks that I followed up, and there's more information when you follow the links. Well, yeah, I, I actually yeah. made an online newspaper for yeah. for our current vampire game. And, uh, and, yeah, I outsourcing. Los Los Angeles Intelligencer.com Yep. And you also did okay. one for, for your conspiracy theory one as well too. That also had links that took you. To yeah, they did. Had a, they had a, like a regular HTML web page on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Um, something else I just remembered that like larks will do a lot is they'll put out a rumor sheet before at the beginning of a game or during the game. Uh, one I participate in actually has a newspaper and it's full of incorrect things. Oh, but good. rumors are a really good way to put out um, like ideas of what's going to happen and what you should follow up on. So there are always clues in that for you, or you know, warnings of the horrible things that will happen. So that's a really good way to, I think, put out like a gossip rag to yeah. um, get people to maybe even recap without realizing they're doing it, or in a way that's a little more um, red herring esque to kind of slow down their progress or speed it up. Mm-hmm. All right. If the time allows. All right. Well, thank you, Heavy Metal Jess, for the email. It's always good to see you, Jess. Thanks for thanks for being with us all, all ten years. It's awesome. All right. I'm going to end this. Where is it? Yeah. Where the-
Thank you for joining us for Cheese Season 26, Episode 15 of Happy Jack's Effigy Podcast. My name is Stu. Oh, Stork. I'm Joey. <laughs> and I'm Clara. And thank you very much, and we'll see you next time, uh, Friday, 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. See you then. Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.